Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Cooperative Bank Podcast. Hello and welcome to part one of our podcast series, Let's Talk About Sexism. In this episode, we will be questioning, are we safe on the streets? At this point, I would like to stipulate a trigger warning, as during this podcast, we will be discussing harassment and violence against women, including some of our own personal experiences, which will likely resonate with many women listening to this podcast. This podcast was inspired by the events that transpired in the week of International Women's Day this year, when the nation learned of the disappearance and murder of Sarah Everard, a 33-year-old marketing officer living in London. The news of her death sparked a wave of anger in women across the country, with many taking to social media and the streets to share their experiences and stories. At the same time, data has been released about just how many women in the UK have experienced sexual harassment. Sexual harassment can be defined as unwanted behaviour of a sexual nature, which violates your dignity, makes you feel intimidated, degraded or humiliated, or creates a hostile or offensive environment. Recently published data indicates that a shocking 97% of women in the UK have experienced this in their lifetime. Whilst it is understood that this issue doesn't just affect women, it cannot be denied that this is an issue which affects women on an alarming scale. Sexism is a huge issue in our society and manifests itself in many different ways, from so-called laddish banter to verbal abuse, sexual harassment, assault and violence. Today, in our first podcast on this topic, we want to focus on how sexism manifests itself in sexual harassment on the streets and how safe we are as women. So today I have with me a panel of women from the Cooperative Bank to discuss this issue in more detail. Thank you, Becca, Mel, Alamot and Kirsty for joining us in this really important discussion. So just how widespread is the issue of sexism in our daily lives and how much does it affect women? Who would like to start? Ali Mott here for our listeners. Um, I have many female friends and I think sexism and safety concerns are so well embedded in our lives that I didn't even realise how unsafe I felt until the recent conversation. So, for example, I'd never take a taxi back before COVID when we were actually allowed to go out. I'd never actually take a taxi alone in the evening. I'd always get picked up by family or friends instead. Um, I'd rather take a public transport at the tram where I know there'll be a couple of people rather than be one-on-one with a taxi driver. Um, and by instinct, I actually make telephone calls if I'm, walk- if I'm ever walking alone in the, in the evening or even during the day. Um, even in car parks, that test goes after a food shop. I'd always check my back seat uh, before entering the car. And once I'm actually inside the car, I always lock my doors. And it's little, little things like that that I'm doing on a day-to-day basis that I didn't put any weight on. I didn't realise I was doing that just to protect myself, uh, putting in extra measures to protect myself. And I wonder if the men, if they also do these things instinctively or whether or not they they don't feel the need to do so. That's a really interesting point, actually, Ali Martin. With some of the things that you've just said there, I do them too, but I've not even, even considered that that's the reason why I do it because it is just so instinctive like you say to like locking your car doors and you know running to your car and if if you're on your own when you come out of the supermarket I can remember my car when I got it it's got headlamps on it that when you actually lock the car doors they stay on for three minutes and I can remember thinking oh that's great because then it keeps you keeps you lit up while you go into into the doors to your house so I'd not even thought about that I think some of the one of the things for me is just 
how when you start thinking about it and thinking back and really intentionally thinking about it is from the early age in which it starts so for example when you're walking home from school in your school uniform and you're being peeped at by cars and vans and you're clearly wearing your school uniform and at the time I think you recognize that it makes you feel uncomfortable but it's only as you become an adult that you kind of realize how like creepy that that almost is you're in your school uniform and you are being leered at and peeped at by men um and you're essentially a child but as as a child you're a bit like oh yeah it's a bit weird a bit creepy but I think it's only as an adult when you're reflecting back on it that you, you realize just how disturbing that is and interestingly I had hoped that times had moved on but I've got a daughter she's 13 and it still happens to her and her friends now and that to me it's just remarkable really some other things I guess um that you kind of just put up with is like when you're just on a night out so you're out like minding your own business having a catch up and then you can get men approaching you which it's not that they're approaching you that's the issue it's it's the things that like when they start a conversation if you're not interested in the conversation and you're not going along with it it's how how it can change so so quickly so and like when you turn someone down, it's always, is it because you've got a boyfriend or a partner? Uh, it, it's like, it, as if, like it could never just be just because you're not interested and you don't want to talk to them. It's just, it, it's the stuff that you just become part of your life, which actually you do things and feel things and avoid certain places and certain things just because of this. How about you, Mel? Yeah, interestingly, I would agree with, pretty much everything you and Alamot have both said so Alamot's point about getting a taxi alone I even think if I told my family I was going to come home by getting in a taxi they wouldn't let it happen they would drop everything to come and pick me up and even pick my friends up if they knew that they were getting a taxi home on their own or if they were going to have to walk home on their own and that thing about locking doors that's something that I've done as soon as I do it in the house, I do it in my car, wherever I am, where I'm on my own, I instantly lock the door. And it is fear that someone's going to open the door or come in or whatever it might be. That is something that I just do. And it's almost like built into me now that it's just my natural instinct to lock something as soon as I'm somewhere. And so I had an experience recently where I started doing Couch to 5K and I had to properly gear myself up in my head to do this and go out and I was already feeling comfortable. I was already feeling unfit and out of my comfort zone. And I was going early in the morning to fit it into my work day. And as soon as I did it, two different cars with men in beeped at me, shouted something at me. And instantly it just made me feel like so vulnerable. I was already in a situation that I felt uncomfortable in. And it's almost like they think it's a compliment. I'm not sure if men realise that their actions actually make you feel really unsafe and really vulnerable and make you just want to get out of that situation and be somewhere safer. It's not, it's never a compliment in my eyes. It's always triggering some sort of fear. Kirsty, I know we've had conversations lately about working out on your own. Do you want to add something to that as well? Yeah, so um, I've been running for quite a while and it happens quite a lot. So for instance, I've been on a run before. I, I live over the road from a park, so I run ra- like round a park. Um, and I'd run onto the main road, and this was about two years ago. And I noticed that this car was like watching me. And then I noticed as I got further down the road, 
it was still there but it was driving so it was like odd because it was going one way and then coming back the other way and I was like I just kept recognizing the registration plate and um, I carried on running because I thought maybe it's just a coincidence and then like I turned up like quite a quiet path and the car started to follow me I thought I need to do something here I was like this isn't this isn't right and I don't know what's happening and it was an older man in a car I mean it could have been a coincidence but I don't feel that it was and I had to actually ring my dad so my dad lived around the corner from me at the time and I had to ring my dad to come and get me I'd honestly never been so scared in my life. I've never been put in that situation before. And it was just terrifying. I think my dad probably had the shock of his life when he ran, when I rang him and told him what happened. And he literally just had to come and get me. And, you know, at this point, the car did disappear. But for that five, ten minutes, it was, you know, quite quite scary. I do receive quite a lot of catcalling on, on International Women's Day. I was gone for a run. It was broad daylight. It was half past 12 in the afternoon. And two cars went past me. One of them wound the window down. They're about the same age as me. Um, so they looked around 30 and started shouting stuff at me through the window. It was all over the news that day. You couldn't get away from it. Around the whole sexual harassment and, and you know, what we can do to, to, to prevent it happening and to make women feel safer. And I thought, how on this day, on what's going on on the news and International Women's Day, do you think that it's okay to shout at a woman who's running alone in broad daylight to make them feel uncomfortable? Like, as Mel said, it's not a compliment. I don't need you to shout at me. So anyway, I got home and I have never done this before. And I did an Instagram story. And it was basically just saying, how how is this happening still to this day? Like, how how is this a thing that we have to put up with? And does anyone know of what we can do to prevent it happening? And I had over 40 messages in reply to that story, all coming back to me with their personal experiences. You know, I also have a daughter. She's four, and my worry is, this happened to me when I was 13. The first time I ever remember being sexually harassed, I was 13 years old. She's only nine years away from that. And how can I prevent this ever happening to her? I don't want her to ever feel the way that it makes us all feel. I mean, I never was told about this as a child and was never told, you know, this might happen in the future. It was never a conversation. And, you know, when I when I probably highlighted it happening, it's kind of just been, a, oh, it just happens. There's no, like, they shouldn't be doing that. There's no education around it. Like, I never remember having conversations around this type of subject, but I think that really needs to happen so that girls are aware that, you know, it, it it might happen and it isn't okay and you don't have to just accept that it's going to happen. It's interesting that you say that, Kirsty, just because I think I remember being in school and even sort of at university and a lot of the narrative around it was very much like how I can protect myself as like a young woman or a girl. And, you know, universities would often be giving out rape alarms and like just to basically telling us techniques of how to keep ourselves safe but the, the conversation never revolved around what attackers needed not to do it was always like what you can do to, to protect yourself and I think it's just absolutely shocking just how sort of widespread it is and completely echoed this idea that like it doesn't feel like it's going to go away and I think there's been a lot of really unhelpful stuff online around like it's not all men that do this and you know it's not all men that need to sort of address their behavior but this culture is so embedded and it really feels like something needs to change 
I don't know if anybody's seen anything particularly sort of unhelpful online in this space around not all men or this kind of rebuttal techniques. Yeah, I think it's like what you said, isn't it? The conversation is always not all men. And that hashtag went viral. It was international. And it was sickening for me to see. So I I believe it's not all men. And I don't think we are saying, or every single man in the world is, is, you know, an an attacker or a sexual um, predator in any way. But what we are saying is, if it's not all men, but 97% of women feel this way, at least in the UK, and I believe that that figure probably represents the whole world, then there's a, there's a disconnect there. And it's a conversation about, okay, are all men having this conversation with their friends? Though? So in their friendship circles, are they telling their friends when they're catcalling and squeezing a woman's bum in a club? Are they pulling up on their friend and saying, well, that's inappropriate, don't do that. And it shouldn't always be, well, that's someone's daughter, that's someone's mother. The respect should just be human being to human being. It's unfortunate that that's the rhetoric that some people want to use and that's the way people want to twist the conversation. But it's just that when you talk about any topic, when you talk about um, gender inclusion in the workplace, for example, like, yeah, not all men are against gender inclusion, but all men are benefiting from the system. So what do we do about it? And I think that's my take on it, that it's right, it's not all men, but all men need to be having these conversations and need to be honest and frank with their friends. I completely agree. And I think, you know, in this space, it doesn't need to be all men committing these acts. That isn't what we're saying here, but it doesn't mean that it's not enough of an issue to talk about. And I think there's been quite a lot of discussion in the media about what men can do to sort of help women feel safer, given the current environment, like crossing the road if you see a woman sort of walking alone. I don't know if anyone else has got any more thoughts about what we can really do to improve in this space. You know, when you're in primary school, you start having lessons um, about racism and bullying and things to say and things not to say and how you need to stand up for each other. And I almost think the same needs to happen from a very young age um, so that when kids do get to secondary school, they're empowered to say, okay, this is wrong. Like your nieces um, and your daughters that have been mentioned already, you know, it's them feeling comfortable to say this is not safe um, and this is not appropriate and this shouldn't be happening. You know, and I think it's that empowerment that needs to take place from a very, very young age. And then by the time people are in their 20s and 30s, that knowledge is already ingrained in them and that culture has already been shifted. That hopefully in nine years time, we can eradicate it and people's concerns about their kids and their young ones can change and it can be less concerning, hopefully. I agree, Alibot. It's almost like it's kind of, it's like almost spelling out like what the scale and like the slope of like harassment is and what it isn't and kind of articulating what is acceptable and unacceptable behavior because it's clearly not that widely known as as the conversation that we're having here today so it's like understanding like objectifying behavior what's classed as flattery and what's edging towards unwanted obviously it's always the 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 person who's on the receiving end of it who's the judging factor and whether something's wanted or flattering or not so things like compliments for example can be flattering when done in the right way but like catcalling and sexual requests or gestures or propositioning that that's edging onto the wards unwanted behavior and then just how that kind can can go from objectifying to degrading to assault and just recognizing that and recognizing that behavior in other people and 
calling people around you out. And if you can see someone that, that's repeatedly doing these negative behaviours, reporting it and not just seeing it as banter or a, a bit of a laugh, because actually these things can escalate. Absolutely. And I think a lot of the harassment that women face is often seen to be quite sort of harmless and we're kind of expected to sort of just take it on the chin. And I think that accounts for sort of how widespread this is, but it can really contribute to this just feeling of being unsafe, just even walking around. And it just contributes to this culture of fear and intimidation. I think with the Sarah Everard case, we don't know the full story about it, but she clearly took a lot of precautions. And I think that's come out about how she wore bright clothing and, and called someone on her way home and did everything right. But that wasn't even enough to keep her safe. And I don't know about you, but I, I feel personally like we're all having these conversations as women, but I'm just not noticing it in sort of all male spaces as much. Not that I would be sort of privy to that necessarily, but I mean, I just I, I wonder whether these conversations are also being ha had not by women. Yeah, so I've got a bit sad on that. So I asked my husband if he's ever had this conversation, like, with his friends. Um, like, I have it, as as I said earlier, like, multiple times, you know, like, with my friend group on, on WhatsApp and things. And he's actually never had this conversation. So I was like, how? How? How is that not a conversation that men are having if women have it so regularly? And I was really shocked about it. And then I thought, I wonder if, like, my brother's ever had this conversation and other people, other, other men in my life, I was like, I wonder if they ever have. I was going to say, I, I saw a video on um, social media and there was this one line in it that hit it on the head for me. And this the guy was talking about Sarah Everard and the sort of everything that had happened at the moment. And it's cool culture is what he put it down to, that people jump on the bandwagon, like, it happened last year with the Black Lives Matter movement that all of a sudden everyone was overly supportive of this movement and then all of a sudden it just drops off and it, the same things happened with this case. We had a week or two where every single man on International Women's Day that I know, none of them posted about International Women's Day, but the next day everybody posted about different quotes they saw about this case that had happened and I just, I just thought, where were you all yesterday? This this happens every single day of the year and there's so many women it happens to and it's never ever in the media. But you've jumped on the bandwagon because this one has come out. Actually, like, we need to make this conversation cool culture all of the time and it comes from role models and it comes from different people that you're in groups with. There needs to be people that are driving this conversation all the time for us to ever make a change for it and we need to keep it cool so that people want to have the conversation too. I think it would just be really encouraging to see more men challenging their mates on, you know, the jokes that they're making. This lavish banter is so embedded in workplaces and in, in all aspects of our society. And, you know, even even just challenging things like she was asking for it and these like really common phrases that are so sort of detrimental and have such a huge impact on this culture would just be so encouraging to see. And I think that, that if that was replicated in a lot of different spaces, that could have a, a real effect. So I'd like to end the podcast by directing any listeners who've been affected by the issues um, to some easily accessible services. So, Alan, can you tell us a bit about how we can respond in the case of an emergency? Yeah, I think the first point of contact will be 999 if you feel unsafe, which is what family members around them give them a call. 
I'll also say if you don't feel like you're in immediate danger, but you just don't feel comfortable or you feel unsafe, then feel free to call 111 and you can talk to a professional person in that regard. The bank has a, has a part, charity partnership with Refuge and what they do is they're domestic um, abuse help um, centre, but they can also support individuals that feel unsafe in regards to sexual harassment and things of that nature. So feel free to give them a contact as well. Yeah, so the bank supports their helpline, doesn't it? So that's a really good channel to go down if you've been affected by any of the issues that we've discussed, harassment or domestic abuse or any level of violence. There is help out there. Kirsty, can you tell us a bit about what the bank is doing to support people who feel unsafe on the streets? Yes, um, so no matter if you bank the Cooperative Bank, we're always here to help. So if you're a customer or not, if you've experienced anything that we've talked about today or, you know, any form of abuse at all, our branches are safe spaces for anyone in the community and our colleagues are there to help you and they'll do everything they can to support you and get you the help that you need. As I said, whether you're a customer or not, we're always here. That's great. Mel, have you got anything to add um, in terms of any tips that you can give to our listeners? Yeah, so just two tips from me. I think the first one is hopefully well-known. It's social media apps and changing your sort of privacy settings on there so that your profiles are private, such as Instagram or Facebook. If for some reason you don't want to be private, I would always be cautious about sort of posting your live location. So if you're doing an Instagram story or a Snapchat story, maybe save it and post it later on when you're at home just because you're opening yourself up that people know where you are at that given time and then the other one another app that I've come across recently is Strava and there might be other similar apps out there but they automatically set your profile to public and I just thought I didn't think anything of it and it was one of my friends actually pointed out to me that I'm actually posting every single day the walk that I do every single day and if someone was wanting to target me they could quite easily see that at whatever time I do the exact same route and they, you could even find out someone's house from an app like that so you can change your settings and make yourself private but it would just horrify me if I'd opened myself up or if anyone that I knew had given away stuff like that and it just made yourself accessible to somebody else. Yeah, that's a really good point to note. I think there's so many things like that that you know affect our safety but we might not be aware of. For any colleagues who are listening who are at the Cooperative Bank, um, Elevate, our Gender Inclusion Network, always here to support you if you have any issues related to anything that we've discussed today. So, yeah, thanks, everybody, for signing posting us to these services. At the bank, we are committed to supporting gender equality and challenging sexism in our workplaces and our communities. Thanks to all the panel for your contributions and for sharing your experiences. We hope you found this discussion interesting and that it encourages you to have more open conversations about sexism in our society with your friends and family. When we start to have these conversations, we can make real change. Thank you. Don't forget, you can subscribe to our podcast channel and be one of the first to know when new episodes are available. The Cooperative Bank Podcast for people with purpose.